Hey guys, you like science? You like learning? We can't cover everything on this podcast, certainly not as in-depth as I'd like to all of the time. Well, here's an important topic you need to know about. Water. Do you have it? Are you drinking it? Where is it coming from? All sorts of important questions you need to know. There is now the new Waterline podcast, which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech, a part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. Waterline podcast aims to bring the latest scientific advances in technological solutions while exploring economic models and identifying key players in the global effort to secure water sources, create efficient water usage, and make water safe for everyone. I just checked out a really cool, interesting episode called Want Not, Waste Not, Wastewater. It's all about what happens to your wastewater. It's going to waste a lot of times, but does it need to? Absolutely not. What happens to all that discarded wastewater? Once treated, it has uh, economic and ecological value that can even drive nation's economies. It could even light up your house. How? Find out on that episode of the Waterline Podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Hey guys, I am so excited. I have so much great news, so much to share with you guys. Um, first off, just recorded another live podcast. So it'll be episode 100, went even better than the first one, which a lot of people said was their favorite episode so far. And, uh, and today we have a couple of guests from, uh, a couple more guests from the MAPS uh, organization, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, who I am excited to announce is going to be the honorary sponsor of my good trip tour starting in October and now extending through January. Um, it was originally going to be like a 30, 40 city tour at the most, we thought. And now it's, it's gonna, it's looking like it's going to be pretty close to 70. And, um, still adding some of the dates, but made a whole lot of progress in the last week. I have a whole bunch of dates up and I'm, I'm trying to get all the ticket links and everything else together. I'm starting, um, kind of a big promotional tour this coming week. I'm getting on a, a bunch of, uh, big podcasts myself. Um, so I'll be promoting this show, of course, and, um, and my psychedelic tour. Um, and by honorary sponsor, I mean, they're going to be, we're going to be doing a bit of cross promotion. They're going to help plug my shows to all their fans. I'm going to have information at my shows so people can find out more. Um, it's certainly, it's not my intention to build my career around being the psychedelic guy or whatever. I just like making themed shows. I have plenty of other themes in mind that I'll be doing um, in the future after I'm um, hopefully making this into this, to a special and um, and maybe touring internationally with it a little bit as well. But, um, but obviously, uh, if you've listened to the show, you know it's, it's, it is a subject that I'm quite passionate about. Psychedelics have had a very positive influence in my life and they've also... Uh, They've also been um, uh, great for generating lots of wonderful material. The best material in my career so far. It is a really smart show. Even if you're not into psychedelics or whatever, if you're a fan of this show, 
you will like my good trip show. Um, it is uh, the the smartest humor that I've ever put together, and and I, I think it's really interesting in and unique. At least that's what a lot of people are saying about it. Afterwards, it's amazing. A lot of times I do shows. And people walk by afterwards, say, nice job. You know, maybe you want me to sign something or take a picture. People come to this show and there's a line of people that want to share their psychedelic stories or ask me a bunch of questions. Just the level of engagement's amazing. So it's just, it's so exciting. So um, I I just wanted to run down some of the dates. Um, They're not all 100% confirmed, as I said, but um, if you go to Shane Moss, M-A-U-S-S dot com, um, and click on the tab for the good trip tour. You'll find many of the dates and many of the tickets are up as well. But starting in uh, the first date will be October 3rd in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, I'm doing a variety of venues with this. I'm, the first one's a coffee shop, and then the next one after that is a brewery, then a music club after that, and then um, this... Uh, just this little event venue and a lot of rock clubs. And I'm also doing some of the biggest comedy clubs um, in the country. Like uh, helium comedy clubs are huge or hilarities and in Cleveland is like 400 seats. Um, So it's, it's going to be so awesome Um, variety of venues and uh, I'm so pumped. So anyway, um, Flagstaff, Arizona, then Tucson, then Phoenix and Sedona, um, might be some stuff lined up in between there, but then we've confirmed Oklahoma City, Dallas, Houston, Austin, Shreveport, New Orleans, Mobile, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida, Birmingham, Alabama, Atlanta, Savannah, Georgia, Charleston, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Raleigh. Uh, super excited for that's a really big, awesome club that I've never been to in Raleigh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, might be something in between that in Charlottesville, uh, Washington. I have one, one date in Brooklyn right now, might be doing something else in, in the city, maybe lining up something in Manhattan. We will see Philadelphia. Um, I'm, I'm doing, um, uh, maybe, maybe some other stuff around New England. Um, that's tentative. I have, I've, uh, been talking with a few people. I'm doing Boston. I'm doing, um, outside of Albany, New York. Um, <laughs> I have no idea how to say it. I've been here too. It's S C H E N E C T A D Y. I, um, I, I never been good at the reading, um, uh, so let's give it a whack. Uh, how about Shinskutsky, <laughs> New York? Uh, um, uh, Skududubops, New York. That's about as close as I'm going to get. Buffalo, New York. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Columbus, Ohio. Fort Wayne, Chicago. Looking into Madison. Um, thought I'd have that confirmed by now, but we'll see. Doing my hometown of lacrosse. Minneapolis, um, maybe some stuff around North Do- North Dakota that isn't confirmed yet, but I'm I'm definitely um, doing Minot, uh, North Dakota, north of Bismarck, um, Billings, Montana. Um, I think I'm going through Spokane and Tacoma. There was a just a weird mix up with 
dates, but I think those are happening. Um, really awesome clubs. So I hope they're happening. We're trying to make it happen. Uh, Portland, again, one of my favorite clubs and places in the country. Bend, Oregon, Salem, supposed to be doing Eugene. Uh, Klamath Falls, Oregon, Humboldt, California, which is the weirdest place I've ever been to and a perfect place for a psychedelic show. (laughs) Um, And uh, San Francisco, maybe Sacramento, Santa Cruz, a few other things in between there and Denver that I don't want to say just yet. And then um, we just decided to add a bunch of Denver dates onto this. So a lot of this stuff isn't confirmed. So there's going to be a bunch of stuff around the Midwest. We just don't know exactly what yet, but it looks like Asheville's happening um, for sure. Indianapolis is happening for sure. Iowa City. Um, I'm, and then uh, what else? In in um, in January, I'm I've already confirmed. Um, I forgot to write this down. I've confirmed Sioux Falls, Omaha, and Des Moines, and um, and then also Royal Oak, and, um, Michigan, outside of Detroit, and Appleton, Wisconsin. So, um, guys, I know I'm doing a bit more plugging than normal, but uh, I'm so excited for this, and I'm assuming if you're fans of mine, you're excited as well, because I'm doing so many damn cities, I'm probably coming to a place near you real soon. Um, it was a fantastic show. And um, yeah, I'm just, I cannot express how excited I am. So um, anyway, enjoy today's episode. Um, it Again, I think this is just really important um, information and, and subject matter. And I feel very fortunate that I'm able to get the word out to people that um, might not other uh, otherwise uh, have any idea of, of um, some of some of the research that's going on with psychedelics. They've changed my life. I'm not saying they're for everybody, as I mentioned in the podcast, but, um, but they've had a positive impact on me. And so, yeah, I hope you enjoy today's show. Oh, uh, some more exciting news on the backside, by the way. So make sure and listen after the program. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hey everybody, welcome to Here We Are. A very exciting episode today. I've had a lot of people writing in, um, talking, uh, uh, saying they want more psychedelic research. Um, they enjoyed the the one with Brad Burge and, and with Cole Marta. And so uh, I've taken your request. And today I have two wonderful guests with me. Uh, clinical research scientist at MAPS, Bera Yazar Klasinski. <laughs> and I'm going to call that good enough. I'm gonna... <laughs> Bera Yazar Klasinski, yeah. I, usually I would stop and start over, but my audience doesn't get to hear the fun of me screwing up yeah. that way, so we're going to leave it in. Um, and then, and then um, the exec, executive director of the MAPS Public Benefit Corporation and director of clinical research, 
Amy Emerson is joining me. Thank you, ladies, for be, uh, being on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. Both your first time on podcast, both of you? First time. Oh, yes. This is very exciting for everyone. So <laughs> let's, um, could we start by just explaining the difference? See, I thought MAPS was just one single organization, and you were starting to explain to me that um, that you actually work for a, a different what sister organization or it's a wholly owned subsidiary of maps. So maps is the nonprofit and it was everything was under maps until January of 2015 when we took the research group and moved it into the maps public benefit corporation. And a lot of that is strategy around um, the idea that one day MDMA will become a prescription medicine and we will be selling it. And that was not part of the mission of maps and then also with MAPS being a nonprofit. Um, and then another piece of that is looking at um, what can be a, kind of a tax-deductible expense at this point. And so all of our research, if it's done by a, a for-profit, which the Benefit Corporation is a for-profit, mm. that puts benefit before profit. Uh, so that that was the reason of making the separation early, is that we're basically incurring costs of all of our research right now. And that might give us like a $7 million tax write-off at the time when maybe we start making some money and become a sustainable research group. Right. Brad was explaining to me um, all of the costs involved with getting how, – how much MDMA are you guys getting a, for the A research? kilo. One yeah, kilo. That's- yeah. Uh, that's a large quantity. Yes. That's, that's enough for how many doses? Have you guys done the math on that? I don't think I've done the math. <laughs> a lot. A lot. a lot. There's a lot <laughs> of MDMA. Yeah. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, we all locked up, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, well, that's interesting because, it, I mean, it, I think one of the one of the big i mean i talk about this in my psychedelic act one of the one of the big issues with psychedelics is they aren't terribly profitable as it, like say you were to get mushrooms approved or something like that something right. that maybe you take once a year probably is would be a lot for most people and that's not that's not a very profitable thing but i guess if you guys can figure out a way to make it a profitable drug maybe Maybe that would lead the way. Yeah, and I don't, you know, MDMA in itself is not going to be all that profitable. It's already off patent. We'll have a five-year data exclusivity, so we'll have the right to use our data for five years. Nobody else can make a um, a generic from it. But where the where we'd probably start to make some money is not only selling the MDMA, but also the training of the psychedelic therapists and the certification of the therapists and the clinics. Um, and then we would likely run some clinics ourselves also. Mm. So the, the therapy is actually much more expensive than the drug. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah the drug is like uh, quite affordable. Well, even on, on the on the street, it's quite uh, compared to what you'd pay a therapist for. What are the sessions, like six to eight hours or something like that? Yeah. They're uh, eight-hour sessions with an overnight stay, and then you have non-drug sessions interspersed also. So it's a lot of therapy. It's how many hours of therapy? 45 hours of therapy? Yeah, 45 hours of therapy. You know, I was curious because the studies that you've been doing, how often, isn't it like once every, or is it just one dose that you're giving people and then 
It's um, you're following up like we have once a, a month three session treatment model. So we how far are these sessions apart? From uh, one about a month. Okay. So you can think of it kind of like a once monthly single dose treatment, um, up to three times. Why? Why a month apart? If you look at a lot of, say, um, you know, antidepressants or so so many other medications where people are taking it daily or whatever. If it is something that's that's showing um, benefits, why why is uh, is is once once a month just something that you found optimal? Where any more than that, and it's not beneficial, or how did? How did you decide on kind of that spacing? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of it is the integration. So there's a lot that happens in eight hours of therapy and mm-hmm. um, even more than would happen in eight hours of therapy without a drug, right? You, you, a lot of people that have been therapists for a long time, psychologists, psychiatrists, they see the videos of our sessions and they're like, that was five years of therapy happening in eight hours. So you need some time to integrate that. So we have the three integrative sessions that happen in between and it's just nice to space things about a week apart. So we say our um, next MDMA session is three to five weeks. It gives people, some people need more time. Some people need a little less time. Um, There's nothing necessarily special. Like you could probably do two weeks apart and you would have enough time time for integration in there, but we needed to pick kind of a schedule that would work. And, um, and that was what we picked. Some of it's probably based on, um, underground work that was done or work that was done before MDMA was made illegal, but a lot of it's mostly based on integration. Yeah. I mean, I get as someone who has used psychedelics and by mm-hmm. the way, I'm not encouraging everyone to use say uh, You got to do this dumb disclaimer every time. I don't know why <laughs> you don't need to give a disclaimer. If I gave a disclaimer for alcohol, like I wouldn't be allowed to work. There's like a two drink minimum. They would fire me. Like the idea of being like a, a, there's a two two hits of MDMA like minimum or something like that would be insane. I, I I'm I'm not advocating everyone to I'm advocating research and psychedelic rights. That's all. If I, if I'm an advocate of gay marriage, it doesn't mean that I think everyone should be gay and everyone should be married. I'm not exactly. gay and I have no interest in being married. But um <laughs> so so um that being said, um the times that I have done psychedelics, I I mean I I do completely guess get that. Um I mean I've had for example, DMT, which is one of the most intense things that you can do. There, there's times when it's like, I've, I've done it before, not too far apart, but then there's times where it's like, well, good on that for a while. And sometimes there is like a bit of confusion. It it, it seems like the Absolutely. more the more clear, like the message that I might get from psychedelics, definitely the more time that I need to process it, the more kind of like... Uh, I'll use air quotes for this, like harder truths that I get to about myself or whatever, the more time I need to kind of digest it. And is that that kind of what you're talking about when you're talking about integration? Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, people have been, a huge change happens, you know, over those three sessions. And um, for each person, it's different. Some people on the very first session, you know, have major breakthroughs and not only do they need time to integrate it, but they need times for their time for their lives to switch. Right. So having those sessions interspersed over 
three months is not, you know, it's the integration and, right. and the, the different amounts of um, integration that's needed after se each session is, is probably different for each person. But doing research, you need to have kind of a set schedule, right? So maybe once it's approved, you would, you would dial it in a little more for each person's experience about how much time they needed in between. Mm -hmm. But for research, you really need to have something that's set. Um, and then you also need time for their lives to kind of adjust to the changes and the relationships that they have to adjust to the changes. So I think there's a lot of benefits to having that time in between. Um, and for some people, it might be a harder truth, like you're saying. And for some people, it just could be, you know, the first time that they feel safe and they need some time to adjust to that. Yeah, right. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I guess not even a harder truth, just maybe something very profound or something. Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah it you would be nice to have a scale of like how profound an experience is, but we actually haven't succeeded in finding one um, to, yeah. me to measure that concept of like the aha moment. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it's just such a distinction between a psychedelic experience and then, like I said, your, your average kind of ph pharmaceutical where maybe, maybe you're altering brain chemistry or something like that with with psychedelics yeah you you might be altering brain chemistry For sure. in the moment during that session but with the lasting effect is is the memory of the experience and kind of, and what you went through where but, where yeah, that's yeah. very <laughs> different than say like a antidepressant or something yeah and there's actually uh, some uh, newer research coming out that suggests um, that psychedelics might be triggering kind of a period of neuroplasticity in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, so the way that uh, neurons grow, um, they're kind of like fingers reaching out, seeking a, um, a target, right? And so when, um, if you can trigger that, like the, you know, for example, childhood is a period where neurons are doing a lot of that reaching out, trying to find a connection. And then once that connection is found, if there's reinforcing stimuli like oh that's really good like here have a chocolate <laughs> right. and, and then um and then that would be a, sol a more solid nerve connection um and so with psychedelics it, it's possible that this integration might be that reinforcement um of you know the drug itself might trigger this neuroplastic window which uh, is which then makes a connection yeah. and people um, have amazing insights that they normally wouldn't have um, in like standard psychotherapy on that frequency. Um, and it, revisiting is then strengthening yes. that newly formed yes. right. connection right. Yeah. before it re kind of atrophies again. Yeah. And if, and if um, you look at the genes that are activated uh, when people receive psychedelics, um, the genes that are activated are the ones that, um, triggered neuron growth as opposed to death. Um, and so, uh, you know, there is some level of like pruning that needs to happen after right. such new connections are made so that only the most important connections are retained, but it is kind of more of an equilibrium than what people previously thought, um, was going on with, with, uh, MDMA, like when it was taken in recreational contexts as ecstasy. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about, um, and, and, and you may or may not have an opinion on this or, or no research about this, but um, I have been thinking a lot about the kind of uh, synaptic pruning and the, from, um, you know, childhood and then the difference in psychedelics as, as an adult, because uh, so, so you can help me out with this explanation um, if you want to, but uh, there, so early on, I mean, this is, this is kind of metaphorically speaking, the brain's sort of, 
a bit more of a blob and there's just this indecipherable amount of information kind of coming into the brain all at once. And, um, and after a while, the way your brain starts forming categories like distinctions between say colors and uh, shapes and letters and numbers and whatever it is that some of these neurons atrophy and kind of there's, they start dying off and this is called synaptic pruning and it sort starts forming some of these categories. So people that, that maybe don't have um, the same amount as synaptic pruning as a lot of people might form synesthesia um, which is where your senses get mixed up. Like people mm-hmm. hear a word and smell bacon or you know, some <laughs> yeah. strange thing like that. And, and do psychedelics tend to, uh, I mean, it seems to me like psychedelics mm-hmm. bring on synesthesia or, or at least some of them. Yeah. I'm sure I've, you've experienced that before. I, yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It depends yeah. on the psychedelic. I mean, there's, um, just this year, there was a groundbreaking study done with, um, LSD, right. Um, where they showed that, um, through brain imaging. Oh, I saw this. Yeah. They showed that um, when uh, when somebody is under the influence of LSD, their entire brain is able to process sensory stimuli. Right. This a, was the Imperial College. Imperial College. Yeah. This isn't like High Times Magazine. No. This was in like BBC News and like. No, it's more than that. This is like yeah. a scientific journal. Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know that, but it's actually been reported in <laughs> yeah, like yeah. actual legitimate news yeah. sources and stuff as well, which is very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but I've I've thought about um, the idea of that and how when when you're when you're really young, of course. It, and, and trying to form these categories to have to be that young and that inexperienced and to have so much stim, uh, stim, stimulus and simulation and information and just like raw data coming in to limit all of that, it would be incredibly beneficial. But it seems like as an adult, once we've had the experience, like, oh, I get it. I know what shapes are. I know what numbers are. Right. I, it, that pruning doesn't seem like it's it's as necessary and it, mm-hmm. but it's kind of already been done and so it seems like anything that we can do to start making new connections and improve plasticity uh, and not that every connection is going to be a good connection but right. generally speaking um i don't see how that can necessarily be a yeah, bad thing and it's thing. very context dependent right so the context that mdma is taken really makes a difference um because if it's taken in a context that's recreational then that is going to be what gets reinforced Mm -hmm. right whereas if it's taken in the context of psychotherapy and there's all these amazing insights coming through that's what's going to get reinforced so that is what makes it therapeutic and that's why and we're trying to get approval for mdma assisted psychotherapy as a treatment package as opposed to just the drug on its own because we can't control like the container when the drug is just on its own Right. Yeah. So rather than taking MDMA and going to a rave and learning to like worse and worse music. uh, (laughs) With less and less words. You can can instead hopefully uh, start becoming more mindful of yourself with therapy. In a therapy session, you you can learn things about maybe past memories or, Mm -hmm. or your relationship with your 
emotions and create some lasting change in mindfulness in your life. Exactly. Right. And and that's why it's so important that the therapy that we're talking about when we say MDMA assisted psychotherapy is a non-directive therapy. Mm-hmm. And that is precisely for what you're talking about is because we want people to have their own insights yeah. and find their own healing. And the therapists, though they're there, two of them all the time for eight hours, they're really there in a supportive way and they're there to be directive when it's necessary. I mean, some people get into some very difficult places and they need somebody to help them process, but the therapists are never leading the direction of where things are going to go. It always comes from the person, from that inner healing intelligence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, no one wants the annoying guy that's like, you have to watch a dark side of the moon or listen to dark side of the moon while watching wizard of Oz. like no i, no. <laughs> I don't need that no. i want to trip in my own way yeah yeah i have a little bit of uh i mean i've only had i i did ayahuasca twice and i didn't i kind of didn't care for the experience very much because of i didn't want it being guided i wanted to do my own thing mm-hmm. i would have rather been outside with my thoughts rather than having this lead thing with all these rules and right. all that. I, I did not enjoy that very much. Um, so now that you have this, uh, so, so you have this, um, the, the separate, the maps public benefit corporation. So you guys must be pretty confident that you're getting fairly close to, um, making some headway as far as the, as far as descheduling and, and, Descheduling would come later after approval, um, but we are definitely making headway. Uh, we finished all of our phase two studies and we're getting ready to go and meet with the FDA for an end of phase two meeting. So that's where they look. And do you have a signal of safety, a signal of efficacy? Um, and then you get uh, an agreement with them on your phase three design. And then you find out what other things they're going to want you to do in parallel with phase three in order to have a successful you know, new drug application and NDA um, at the end of your phase three studies. And you need two phase three studies, at least. You need two conformatory, confirmatory studies. Some companies take up to six studies in order to get two that are confirmatory, mm. right? We're hoping to do it with just two because our results are pretty consistent and good. So we definitely feel help, hopeful. You know, it's uh, we're definitely seeing that, you know, we've made it over like into the next stage of the game. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen... I've seen some of the results from from past studies of of uh, uh, take. Can you just throw a, a few few of the numbers from? Uh, sure. Just explain some of the the PTSD because I was I was just watching um, a few of, of both of your talks uh-huh. uh, and, and showing some of those results. Which see, I talk this I, each week. I'm talking with various scientists, uh-huh. and and some of these some of these studies that that there's like a you know a 5% better than chance. And this is, this is significant yeah. in, in many fields. And to see some of the numbers that you guys are getting are, I mean, I never see stuff like that. Right, right. Yeah. I think that the simplest one to put out there, and then maybe you'll want to throw some of your favorite numbers out there, but yeah. the, at long-term fall, well, so at, we do the caps, right? This is the, the gold standard for looking at severity of PTSD symptoms uh, so we do this after two sessions of MDMA, after three sessions of MDMA. So we're looking. And then if people have had placebo, they're crossing over and they're also doing uh, the full dose MDMA. So we look at both that crossover group and the active group at the beginning. So after two sessions of MDMA, 
55% of the people no longer meet criteria for having PTSD in the active dose group. So in the MDMA group. And then in the comparator dose group, it was 25%. So we're doing 25% versus 55%, no longer meet requirements. Yeah. And then when you go to after three sessions of MDMA, 61%. And then this is the best to me. One year later, 66% of people that had the MDMA don't meet criteria for having PTSD. And these are all people that were considered treatment resistant. These are not people that just had a recent trauma. They're these people, are people that, like decades of. Yeah, it can be anywhere. Yeah. At least they've had to have it for at least six months and at least tried or failed on yeah. previous therapies. But in our first study, it was like 19 years on average mm. or something close to that. And that's actually that. been pretty consistent. Like the duration yeah. of PTSD has been really long in really all the long. studies. Yeah. So we're studying chronic PTSD and people need to have tried either medication or or psychotherapy that is considered evidence-based. Um, so in the case of medication, there's two um, antidepressants that are also approved for PTSD. That's Paxil and Zoloft. Um, and so uh, those were initially approved based on um, clinical trials and like your standard PTSD population. Um, and the clinical trials for Paxil and Zoloft were 12 weeks long. And our treatment is also um, 12 weeks long. It's just that it's more psychotherapy and only um, giving the drug on um, three occasions. Mm. So um, it's nice that the treatment durations are consistent um, with comparable medications that we're measuring ourselves against. Um, and also it's consistent with a course, a standard course of psychotherapy um, that is typically used to treat PTSD, like prolonged exposure or um, cognitive processing therapy. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Did I, did I miss how, how are they matching up numbers wise with the Paxil and, and Zoloft? Um, so pa- numbers wise, um, we have data in 105 blinded mm-hmm. subjects. Um, and so in our, in our data, um, the numbers are about, Yeah, so it was about a 10-point drop on the caps for people with Paxil and Zoloft for it to get six points. Six points they got approved on. Okay, so very small drops, Um, and we are getting like 30 to 50-point drops. Um, And then what the stat I gave you before was how many people. So there's a difference. There's like a drop, how much you drop on the scale, and there's how, and then if you meet the criteria for having PTSD anymore. Yeah. Uh, so our drops are, are between that like 30 and 50 points and Paxil and Zoloft were 10 point, six, six point, points, six point drops, six sorry. Points. Huge difference. So that's, I mean, that's, that's like five times, five times that, more right, effective, but, but is a six point <laughs> drop. Does that mean that they still have PTSD then? Yes, and it's yes. just lessened, right? Yes. It, because yes. it hasn't gotten below the threshold of right. what's considered. Right. So it's not even, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's just helping PT. It's not. It's getting symptom it. control. I mean, yeah, it's completely yeah. different from what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to allow people to lessen their symptoms and live with what they have, and hopefully get some other help. Right? The Zoloft and Paxil is not going to take away the PTSD. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just going to help them with their symptoms. And we're we're looking at something that, you know, we're we're trying to remove the symptoms and actually allow people to have insights and actually make a big change in their lives. Yeah. So. Uh, and people for in our studies still may qualify as having PTSD. I mean, even though 
only 66% at the end don't have PTSD anymore. There's there's still like a huge number of those people like, you know, out of the 100% that have a hugely improved quality of life. Mm. Right. So we're trying to use like the strictest measurements when I'm giving you those numbers. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. So what about um, what about what what are the concerns from from the other side is an addiction is a concern or what are they what are they saying the danger is i mean why is this such a slow process to to get things approved i mean it's just frustrating when i just i mean this might not come out for like a month or two but Uh um but just last week or whatever the dea went uh, decided they weren't going to reschedule (laughs) marijuana yeah. oh that wasn't a- scheduling though that was allowing breaking the night a monopoly yeah. but they decided to retain oh, but they, retain yeah they, reta- they retained the schedule yeah, yeah. So they retained it in schedule one which is crazy. <laughs> right sorry um same same as heroin right exactly it's crazy and, but and same, and as worse, MDMA. And MDMA same as mdma mdma is also yeah, schedule yeah. one yeah worse than cocaine worse yeah. than prescription painkillers yeah or some yeah. some pain i think oxy is now schedule one i don't no, know it's not there's a medical approval for oxy right so that would mean it's yeah, excluded yeah, yeah. from schedule and, one. And you can have dual schedules, which is crazy too, right? If somebody's using it recreationally, it can be schedule one. And then if it's somebody's using it, when if it becomes a prescription, they can dual schedule it. So when it's used as a prescription, it oh. can be schedule two. Oh. That's what happened with GHB. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, Z- Zyrem, Zyrem is uh, GHB's brand name. It's a uh, treatment for narcolepsy. I think it's narcolepsy. Yeah, narcolepsy. What's GHB? Gamma hydroxybutyrate. Um, it's not, also not also used recreationally. Also used recreationally. Is that that roofie? Like it's the not, It's one? not a roofie. No, it's like a liquid that people like. It's very common in San Francisco clubs. <laughs> like, people no, put it I've into done drinks. This. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, I, I, I don't know. I did about that it. when I was like I eighteen it. or nineteen or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought I was told like after the fact they're like, oh, that's what roofies are. I was like, what? Why did I? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay, um, I but, don't. I don't know anything about it. But you were asking like, why is it such a long process? And just yeah. drug development process in general is long, right? right? It's, I understand that. So it's it's not just special to us. Um, you know, and you know there are concerns about abuse liability for a lot of drugs, and it is something we'll have to um, address when we go to the FDA. Is do we have enough abuse liability data? But one of the ways that we control for that is this is a three dose treatment package, and it's done in a clinic with two therapists. There's no take home drug, mm. so you're limiting abuse liability right there. We're making it much easier for the agency to look at this and think, okay. We don't have to be, it's not going to be like Oxy. Like Ritalin, you get yeah. a bunch of Ritalin and sell it off to your friends right. or whatever. It'll Oxy be tightly controlled. Right. We imagine it will come through a single pharmacy, mail order. The only people that can order it will be people that are trained and kind of on the roster as being trained on how to do this therapy. So that's part of what is a, a REMS. It's the risk evaluation management strategy. Strategy. Yeah, that drugs with potential abuse have. Yeah, but also like drug development doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, and so look at you know amphetamine that's approved for treatment of ADHD. Look at the opiate epidemic that's happening right now. Right. Um, and those are all prescription drugs. Yeah, I had um, I, last year. I did a few um, episodes with with people that 
work with homeless organizations yeah. um, in Portland. And um, and the guy that had been there for uh, like 25 years or something like that. I hope I'm not misquoting him, but basically he was he was saying that when he started, the problem was winos people. There was alcoholics, right. you know. And then as soon as as soon as like in the early 90s, as soon as those pain pills started being handed out everywhere, the homeless po- problem just multiplied, and it was all opioid addiction yeah. yeah before that in the 50s it was valium did you ever watch valley of the dolls Mm-mm. oh that's a really good one to follow up on i mean it was basically yeah oh no it was a movie about like the plight of the housewife who has to take valium in order to put up with their horrible unequal gender <laughs> treatment <laughs> um with like you know the guy goes to work comes home pours himself an alcohol <laughs> cocktail the whole time the housewife has to stay home and the only way she can put up with it is being on Valium and then she doesn't care. Mommy's little helpers. <laughs> I also like that that sounded very 50s the way you said that. I'm going to pour myself in alcohol. That's exactly how they would have said it. Um, I, it, it, going back, sorry to skip around, but this is it just kind of caught my attention. The, um, the dual scheduling, I don't understand why... I mean, I understand why they would maybe want to make it sound worse. So if it's recreational, it's schedule one, but that, but scheduling doesn't actually affect the punishment, like jail time or anything. It's supposed to. It does. I mean, it's supposed to have because like cocaine, you can go to jail for, for longer than say marijuana, you know? Right. That because they've really tried to push and change, right. That people in jail for, uh, nonviolent drug offenses. I think they're really trying to push back on that and pull back and especially with marijuana, but the intention was, Oh, it was supposed to. Yeah. Right. Okay. That you can have, you know, it's a, it's a larger offense if you're with a schedule one drug. Right. And they yeah. don't. So if you're using something recreationally, you're not using it for a medical purpose. Okay. You're, uh, some of these are just questions I'm asking uh, to make sure I have all question. my facts right. Yeah. No, it's my, a good question. It is a good question. about psychedelics yeah. that I've been doing. Yeah, but since 2001, possession of MDMA, has, you know, has been greatly increased in terms of the um, the sentencing. Uh, if if you're caught with MDMA, then it's it's a big deal because because of the laws that were passed in 2001. Just There's because like, of. I mean, I guess it was there was in the papers a lot. It was around the, the time of the rave act, the yeah, rave act, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, hmm. So 2001 was like since then it's been pretty bad to have yeah. to have any MDMA in a recreational context. I mean, they should just ban teenagers. Like that, that's that's what the problem is. It's not the it's not the drug. Um, I mean, drugs can be problematic, blah, blah, blah. Talk um, to us in a few years when our kids are teenagers. And yeah. <laughs> we'll tell you how it's going. Maybe we'll want to ban teenagers, too. <laughs> <laughs> the bath salts. <laughs> I mean, even bath salts aren't, like, really a thing, aren't they? they I that's think like, they are <laughs> well, it's not, among teenagers. Well, it's, but it's not like people, people aren't actually, like, eating people's faces and stuff like that. I, that I, don't, like, I don't think they're no, eating no. That I was an isolated. So. I think that was very isolated. And you never know when somebody's having a psychotic break or, you know, or maybe it was stimulated by something that they took. But uh, well, speaking of psychotic break, is that something with MDMA that has ever been reported at all? Because I I know with LSD, you know, it's happened with Mm -hmm. people that are set up for um, 
I, I don't know enough about yeah, it. Yeah, we exclude people from our studies who um, have any level of psychotic symptoms. Um, you know, for example, there are, uh, I think there's like a type of depression that can have like psychotic features. And so any psychotic features, people with that are excluded mm. from our studies. Um, I have, although I haven't heard of any incidences in anecdotal reports or publications of like, you know, serious concerns with um, recreational ecstasy where you don't even know what's in it. It's kind of like it could be a drug salad, but it's called ecstasy. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Drug salad. Drug salad. I took yeah. a drug salad and now I have problems. <laughs> Back in the 50s again. Yeah, should have stayed away from the salad bar. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I mean, that, that is, that's absolutely one of the scariest things with, you know, anytime you're making drugs illegal is then you're... People on the streets are mixing together, whatever, and yeah, it's just so important for testing, you know. Yeah. And it's such an important part of other part of Maps work, which is the the zendo and the harm reduction at festivals. Yeah, I mean, people at festivals are going to do stuff. If you, they are, yeah. if you uh, if you you can get drug te- testing yeah. kits online from yeah. Dance Dance Safe sells yeah. them. Actually, yeah. Dance Safe is a is a good resource for information and for. Drug testing kits. Very, very affordable and yeah. easy to use. Um, so what about overdosing on MDMA? Um, is that, I mean, I know there was problems back with, it. was it more a matter of, because I know with MDMA, the, the body can have some trouble regulating um, temperature. Was it more a problem of just um, exhaustion and not having enough water or having too much water or it's, I mean, ultimately it's the context. Um, like I was saying, like, so in our studies, MDMA is only administered in kind of a, you know, homey kind of home office type of environment where people are, you know, laying down and relaxed. Um, but, uh, if, if it's taken in a recreational context, there's a lot of social interaction, Um, there's also, you know, too much or too little of water and people's perception of how much water they need can be altered during the effect of MDMA. Um, so they may over drink or under drink and depending on what their friends are telling them, they may end up over drinking and stuff like that. Um, but so very interestingly watering holes in Africa, um, so the same neurochemicals like oxytocin, and vasopressin, which are like your social hormones that regulate social interactions, um, these are elevated in the context of high heat and they're elevated in the context of dehydration. And they found that um, <clears throat> at watering holes in Africa, animals of t- totally different species were more likely to get along and come to the watering hole to drink if they had these um, hormones, oxytocin and vasopressin, um, elevated in their bodies. Well, mm. now take that watering hole in Africa analogy and apply it to a recreational context where it might be a rave with like high heat, dehydration. Oh, all of a sudden it sounds like a watering hole in Africa. And so um, MDMA also activates those so- same social hormones. So then all of a sudden it's like you have a social hormone overdose in mm. that context if you want to compare it. Hmm. Which might encourage other, you know, more ingestion of 
um, alcohol or other drugs too. I mean, you have all that going on. Impulsive behavior. (laughs) It's so hard to measure when there's overdoses of MDMA because you don't know what people are using. And we don't really worry about overdoses in our studies because people get an initial dose and a half a supplemental dose. And there is no option for any more. And they're not like mixing it with and alcohol. And they're not mixing it. Yeah. Whatever but else. but the, I mean, you can take quite a bit without overdosing, but it's very dependent on your biochemistry and what all else is going on. Like you're saying, the social interaction, what's happening and what else you're ingesting. Yeah. So you know, if anybody wants to look at our investigator brochure on the MAPS website, we have all the safety data compiled into one very long document that we worked very hard on. Yeah. So that's probably the, a great place to look if you're more interested in like, you know, this type of information. Right. So, so what is, um, uh, since I have you right here, and I'm mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll ask. I meant that for your the, audience, no, no, not for you. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to read it, but your uh, audience no, can. <laughs> right. No, I understand. Um, uh, what, what is the dosages that you're using during the um, during the trials? Um, so the active doses of MDMA range from 75 milligrams to 125 milligrams um, for the initial dose. And mm. then one and a half to two and a half hours later, um, there's a half dose of that. That's a supplement. So what that does is it um, it actually influences the the way the drug is metabolized in the body and extends the window of how long it's present in the blood. Hmm. Um, and so then, you know, a single dose of MDMA would probably last about four hours, but then with the supplemental dose, it lasts eight. Yeah. I've had supplemental doses before. <laughs> um, I didn't realize I was doing such rigorous science. Um, I, um, uh, so, so on the, on the street, like what, if you get say an ecstasy pill mm-hmm. or whatever, like what's your, you're hoping. you're hoping you're getting 125 milligrams. <laughs> okay. 125 yeah. milligrams is like the upper dose that we use. And that's, um, you know, we were actually surprised a 75 milligram dose works so well in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for some people that might be just a fine dose, even, you know, recreationally, most people are trying to take more than that though. Mm-hmm. I think probably on the street, you're probably finding doses of it. Like if there's any ecstasy, if there's any MDMA in the ecstasy, right. yeah. probably like 80 milligrams to a hundred, but really what people are trying to get is 125. Hmm. And then they're taking that multiple times a lot of times, though, during the night, too. But actually what they find is that, like, repeat doses, like, within the same 24-hour window, they don't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, at that point, you're not getting the serotonin. You're not getting the oxytocin. You've saturated everything. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a waste. Yeah. It's it's a waste. It's only, like, kind of the context is like, oh, yeah, I want to keep it going. Right, right. But it's not going to. Too bad. (laughs) (laughs) so why i'm curious why mda isn't more researched and studied instead because mda mdma has has such a speedy element to it i don't i don't know what maybe that's our next one (laughs) maybe that's our next one to study well i hope so because i don't see i don't see what the benefit is of having that like extra speedy element and i would i would well i mean i don't think pure mdma has that extra speedy element yeah it's interesting it doesn't it doesn't it just has this clarity Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, like what you're associating with MDMA is it's not garbage. actually MDMA. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. right. 
Mm. Yeah, with the pure MDMA, you really don't see that. I mean, people are literally laying down most of the time They're for not that whole their time. Teeth. They're not... You see some of that, you, you know, a little bit. we it's see hard. some jaw right. clenching, but right. that's, you're going to get that with MDA too. Yeah, yeah. Right? right. Um, I mean, MDA is nice. There's, yeah, but... you know, uh, mm. I, you know, there's no reason that to think that it couldn't be helpful in therapy also. This is just what we picked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also it's depend. it depends on like what, um, which drug came out first, right? I think MDMA was probably, or MDA was probably synthesized. Right. This is Brad, Brad af- kind of said this too, or MDMA. Cole, one of the two was like, well, it's just kind of the easier one to, or it's like the hot one right now that everyone knows about. So, but there was also like millions and millions of dollars of government funds that were spent researching the safety profile of MDMA and not MDA and not MDA. Mm-hmm. And so when um, when MAPS applied for its uh, investigational new drug um, application to start clinical trials with MDMA assisted psychotherapy, they, um, you know, they relied on all of the findings that were published, which we now summarize in our investigators for sure, to um, to help establish sufficient safety to justify clinical trials in humans and then. They um, and then Maps just sponsored one uh, or two experiments in animals to kind of show basic general toxicology data was was acceptable, mm. um, and so but we were able to rely on all of the NIH funded research and NIDA funded research um, with MDMA. And, and I don't think any of that was done with MDA, so we would have right. had to start. Right, right. That's the last work that you have to do. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what? What other? What other psychedelics and and pro- actually, rather than um, I want to ask this question first. Other than PTSD, um, what other therapeutic benefits um, might there be with MDMA, or what has mm-hmm. possibly been studied, if not by you guys, by other people in other countries? Um, so we have a couple parallel pipelines that we're we have been testing out with MDMA assisted psychotherapy. So one of them is social anxiety, um, and we've tried that in autistic adults, uh, and uh, we may, you know, expand that outward and just try for general social anxiety because that seems to be, you know, we have a good measure that um, we can measure change on, and it's administered by a clinician, a third-party clinician that never sees the subject or the therapist, so they have no idea what happened during the sessions. Um, so they and, just have to determine if someone's being awkward or not. It's yeah, a, no, it's a measure that they measure. administer, yeah, but it's, it's really important. Social anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> it's really important. The same thing with our PTSD studies that that um, primary endpoint data—that's the caps—is being generated by somebody that was not in the room during the therapy session. So it helps to blind the studies. So that's why it's important. A lot of times when we're looking uh, for something new or, um, to use MDMA with what are the measures and how reliable are those measures and how are they administered is an important question. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when, wherever you have like a clinician administered interview that would, you know, be able to measure change before and after is, is pretty much where you want to head instead and, of just self-report. That's the other option Yeah, is self-report, but clinician administered is better. So many drugs though, get approved just based on self-report data um, but we try to hold our studies to a much higher standard than that to make sure that it's bulletproof. And in, in your studies, you're just, so are, are you doing like MRIs and stuff like that too? It's, it's just strictly the therapy sessions, right? 
or do you? There, there's some sub studies that are being done with two two of the studies. One um, with the study in South Carolina, and there was a small um, portion of the participants in the study that had um, MRIs at MUSC, and then uh, in the study in San Anselmo, that's right here in the Bay Area, and that's for. Um, Anxiety associated associated with life-threatening illness. It's a mouthful. And at um, Berkeley, they're doing uh, MRIs on a subset of those participants. But it's not something that we have to do as part of our studies. So a lot of times people will kind of partner with us that are interested in that research, and they'll use some of our participants in our studies, and they'll do before and after. But we're not doing anything during the MDMA sessions. But there will be a study of that in the UK with another one of our colleagues uh, where they're actually administering two people with PTSD, the MDMA, and then they're in the scanner mm. during the sessions and they're looking at what's going on. And if it's too intense, then they have the option to request additional support from therapists who are standing by. But it's not like... If you don't like being in a tube with like <laughs> yeah. two inches of space in yeah. front of your face. Well, and then and doing also- trauma scripts yeah. and looking at scary faces. <laughs> yeah, it's not like just your standard structural MRI. It's functional MRI, and it looks at like the um, level of oxygen in the blood um, throughout the brain and various um, regions of interest. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have, you know, some promising in, um, data, like preliminary data that looks interesting. And so um, it could be good to to repeat it to see what the process is like during. Um, that was kind of the impetus for that. Mm. And then the other study that we just started, one dyad treated is very interesting which is uh one person with ptsd and another person that they're in close relationship with it can be a spouse or significant other family member and both people are receiving mdma Um, one person with ptsd and the other with um, psychosocial distress kind of related to being in relationship with the person with ptsd so that's that's kind of getting back to almost the history of you know MDMA being used in couples therapy, and you'll will never be able to get an approval for couples therapy because marriage, marriage is not a disorder. Last yeah, I marriage checked. is not a disorder. Uh, and, <laughs> I, that should be de- uh, or rescheduled. Got to think about yeah, adding that uh, adding that into the DSM. <laughs> so that's another another study that we're doing that's kind of in parallel. But our really our main focus is the the PTSD studies. That you know, being a nonprofit, we really have to focus and um, put all most of our energy into one indication with one drug you know everybody's like why aren't you studying lst and why aren't you studying this why aren't you studying that it's like well do you, if you have a couple million laying around you know we'll yeah. be happy to study some more things but yeah. we it's going to take us like 25 million more dollars just to make mdma into a medicine are there any big organizations like you guys doing lsd research or beckley. psilocybin beckley is the foundation yeah with imperial college they do a lot of the lsd hmm. um and yeah, they do a lot of <laughs> research. <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> um, and th- there's also a private group that's that's starting to do some LSD research there too. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so if uh, if if people want to um, learn more about maps, if people want to support maps, um, what what should they do? Well, the biggest thing right now is that we're trying to fundraise for our giant phase three program. Uh, and that's $25 million. And, you know, we're less than halfway there. Um, so any 
like if they know any billionaires, they could tell them about maps. That would be super helpful. Um, and you know, government funding has not been easy. If as like we haven't gotten any government funding for um for studying the benefits of MDMA assisted psychotherapy um or the risks. So even though funds could potentially be leveraged to study the risks, um, so for that reason, like the biggest hurdle right now is fundraising. Yes. Can you get yeah. half a kilo? <laughs> like, the MDMA is not the expensive part. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The MDMA <laughs> itself is less than ha- less than half a million, right? Right. Right, right? right, right. But when you actually try to do a whole like, we have so many trained therapists. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, course. we're in massive like efforts to train therapists right now for phase three clinical trials. How many therapists will you have? Should be uh, there should be ten sites in the U.S. and uh, maybe one or two in Canada and one in Israel, and they'll each have um, two to three teams. And there's about eighty therapists. Why? Why so many different sites? Uh, well, it helps enrollment. Um, these are long studies in a lot of ways. If you tried to do 200 people at just a couple places, it's going to take you a lot longer. And then also we want to show that our results are replicable across different therapists doing this, right? You want something that is not, can, cannot be done by just a couple of people. You want to show it can be done by any trained therapist, really, that we say, okay, you're trained um, now go forth, do MDMA assisted psychotherapy, and they should be able to get consistent results. And the only way to show that is to have multiple sites doing it. Mm-hmm. So, and then the more people that we have trained, the more people that are available after MDMA is a prescription medicine to go ahead and start clinics and start actual treatments. So it's an opportunity to train people now and to do our phase three. If uh, if someone has PTSD and they're very interested in these studies, I know it's very, very difficult just to get into one of these programs and be selected. What can they do if, if someone's desperate at their wits end and are really well, want to be in one of these studies? If they're very desperate and at their wits end, they're probably not going to be able to get into one of our studies that quickly. Right. Um, so it's phase really, two is over yeah. right now. So right. it's going to be yeah. a year before we start phase three. They really three. need to be like working with their mental health providers as usual without trying to do anything drastic. That's very important. Right. Um, But also, you know, we're, we're going to be opening up our first phase three trial, hopefully next summer in 2017. So then we'll have our 10 sites. We'll be able to start um, recruiting and really just um, signing up for the maps e-newsletters so that you can see the information about when recruitment would start and where the sites would be is important. And, you know, if somebody is desperate and at wit's end, there's the alternative treatment to me that comes to mind is like, you know, looking at what Cole Marta was talking about. He works in ket- with ketamine for people with severe depression. And so that might be something. Oh, ketamine's legal, isn't it? Yeah, it's they're off-label. using it off schedule, off label. Yeah. Um, but it's being <laughs> meaning it's, yeah. it's not specifically approved for for treatment right. resistant depression, but there's been so many um, clinical trials of it that there's there's sufficient evidence in the scientific literature to justify yeah. the off label use. Even Kaiser in Oakland has a ketamine clinic that's just started. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's easier to that's, get involved in some of those. Studies. It's legal now. <laughs> yes. Oh, you can just get legal ketamine? Well, you have to go into the clinic. You have to work with a psychiatrist and possibly an anesthesiologist, depending on how they're administering it. Right. Hmm. Um, But there's definitely clinics around. And so for people that are severely depressed, 
Um, you know, I don't know what all the inclusion exclusion is for doing those treatments, but I would imagine that would be someplace good to look. If that's yeah. interesting, and then you don't have to worry about going into the K hole. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um the doses that they that ketamine is used at for this are actually sub considered sub anesthetic, mm. so that there's no worry about like completely dissociating. Hmm. Um. Well, that, that's uh, that's true. And what what. Talk again about just the Zendo project, just because yeah. there's people that go to music festivals and stuff and, and you know, who knows what's being passed around and maybe you've never done anything before and you're like, uh, hey, I, I heard this stuff was kind of cool. I'm going to try it. What, what's some kind of warnings or or some if, if someone is having a rough time, what, what can they do if they're to be safer? Are you talking about at the festivals where we have the Zendo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, well, at Burning Man is the next big one coming up and we'll have two Zendos there and we're, we're fundraising for that right now. Also, it's a lot to support. There's 30 full-time staff setting that up and then plus many, many volunteers that go there and there's many people on staff 24 hours a day at the Zendo. Um, and so go there, go to the Zendo yeah. if, or have your friends bring you to the Zendo. If you're having a difficult experience, it doesn't have to be a psychedelic experience. It could be integration afterwards. It could be anything. We'll take anybody that needs help and be with them and evaluate. And if it's safe to have them stay there, they can stay there as long as they need to. And if it's not safe and they need more medical attention, we'll make sure that that happens. Mm-hmm. And we do, um, I can't even remember how many festivals it's uh, Zendo has its own website also six six festivals throughout the year. Um, And what we're hoping is that we can kind of train more people at festivals to do this same kind of harm reduction work. Um, And so this can kind of take on a life of its own where there will be harm reduction at every festival. But we have a ways to go for that. But also, before you go to the festival, try to read up on (laughs) like the there's four basic principles principles of harm reduction, and the zendoproject.org has has this as an infographic. It's very easy to understand. Yeah. So, um, most people do research before buying a new TV or a new car or anything. Read the reviews. (laughs) Do research before getting a thing that you're putting in your brain. Test your drugs. (laughs) Test. Test Please buy test kits. Buy test kits from Dance Safe or others. Do research before expanding your consciousness. Um, all right. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you, Amy Emerson and, uh, Barry Azar Klausinski. Boom, nailed it. And thank you. Thank you all for being such wonderful, curious, inquisitive listeners. And I'll talk with you next week. So, guys, here's the other exciting bit of news. I'm very excited about this. I mentioned last week, I talked about, uh, I have the uh, leather um, DMT molecule keychains that say, Have a good trip um, for, for fans of psychedelics or people that have seen the show or are just interested in general. Uh, some people went, went to the store on, on my website, shanemoss.com, and, uh, and bought some, which is a tremendous help because I am trying to get money together to promote this huge tour that I'm doing. Um, and, but, but this week, I, I have another cool, like I said, I, I normally, I haven't sold merchandise in like three two or three years or something like that because um, I just, I, I, I'm never happy with anything that I think of. But with this, uh, with this tour, I've actually thought of some really awesome stuff. And actually with, 
with the help of the producer of the show, Ramin Nazer, who not only edits everything and does all the sound and, and is constantly trying to improve it. Um, it by the way, um, we, we get a lot of, uh, we get, a, we get some comments about the, the first episodes and stuff, not, not being the best sound in the world. And you're right. And that's why we actually made a change. Someone else was doing the sound um, originally the first 20 episodes and Ramin took it over and he's, he's been um, improving every single week. And so um, we've gotten lots of comments about how much it's improved. Um, But as I mentioned before, he does everything for me. My website, he, he is my business partner. Everything behind the scenes is Ramin Nazer. Go to RaminNazer.com. And as I've mentioned, he's a tremendous artist. And he made for me adult coloring books based on my Good Trip show. Um, so if, if you've seen my show, um, it, it's, it, I, I have a lot of you know, just different stories of my experiences and, and different jokes and bits that he's, he's taken and turned them into wonderful works of art that then you get to finish yourself and color in any way that you desire. Adult coloring books, they're all the rage right now. Get down with it. Um, so if you, especially if you have seen my show already um, and you already know all the material and Go online, check it out. I'm happy to sign the cover for you and and write whatever message uh, you like, or I'll come up with uh, with something on my own, and um, that helps me out tremendously. Um, but anyway, I'm I'm just super excited about it because I just got them ordered like days ago, and um, or they just came in a, a few days ago, and they're so cool. Uh, and everyone's going crazy over them. So um, check that out. You can go to my store, which also Ramin uh, put together, which is on my website, ShaneMoss, M-A-U-S-S, dot com. And uh, now for the bad news, everybody. I'm sorry. I have to take next week off. I need one more week off just to finish comp- putting this tour together. I've been dealing with 50 emails a day. It's um, on top of every, uh, doing shows and everything else that I have to do. Um, and what I was very worried about happening was that I was going to have to, um, take a bit of a hiatus from the podcast because of the tour with doing a new city every single night. And it's going to be pretty intense and, and, um, lots of driving, but I've been taking some time. And and the reason why I need a a week off is just to get all my guests lined up for this tour. So, because that stuff's finding guests is incredibly time consuming. Um, and so I want to do that so that the show doesn't go on hiatus. And I've already lined up, um, a bunch of good guests on the tour. So, uh, we're going to be covered and I might even be able to make it up to you guys and release some bonus episodes in the future. Don't hold me to that, but I am going to try my darndest. And, um, I'm, I'm just so excited for this tour right now. So I just really have to put all of my effort into that. Once again, you can go to shanemoss.com, look under a good trip tour and check out all of my dates. I'll be adding more soon and I'll talk to you in uh, about a a week and a half. We'll release another episode or so, two weeks at the most. All right. Thank you guys so much. And I'll talk with you then.
let's say uh, Seinfeld was, was on an island yeah. and he was blowing <laughs> Boris Karloff. What would it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck. 